Hello, my name is Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy, a podcast to help you fall asleep. So, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and settle in, and get ready for tonight's story, The Frost Giants and the Sunbeam Fairies, from the book Swiss Fairy Tales by William Elliot Griffiths. As many of us on the Northern Hemisphere experience the change in season from winter to spring and the Southern entering into fall and winter, we know how much the seasons affect us. The spring is known for wildflowers and tonight takes us to Switzerland to experience the lore of where its beauty derived and the folk tales and fairy tales surrounding it. Switzerland is a country in the heart of Europe and has a rich cultural heritage and a history of storytelling that includes various fascinating fairy tales. While it is difficult to pinpoint the exact origin of these stories, as they've been passed down orally through generations, the Swiss fairy tale tradition can be traced back to ancient Celtic, Germanic, and Roman influences. Tonight's story, The Frost Giants and the Sunbeam Fairies, is a fairy tale about the beauty of Switzerland and how it came about. And I hope it makes you very, very sleepy. Many people think Switzerland the most beautiful country on earth. It is certainly the world's playground. Every year, many hundreds of thousands of persons from various countries go there to spend either the winter or the summer. They come to enjoy the good sleep that comes from the bracing air, to climb the high peaks, to see the flowers, to hear the echoes of the alpine horn, to ride over the mountain roads, or to be whisked up on electric railways to summits along the clouds. With most of the tourists, the effect of the sharp atmosphere is to whet their appetites even more than their wits. But perhaps this is what they seek. The sick and well alike get vast benefit. They think it great fun to find so much ice and snow and also so much sunshine, as if winter and summer liked to play together. In February, hardy and strong people enjoy sledding and sliding, besides skis and skittles, and many other merry sports. Children go out on sleds to enjoy the air. Yet, Switzerland was not always a flowery playground, rich in splendid hotels where the border's bills catch the spirit of the place and become mountain climbers. For ages, it was a sort of North Pole, set in the middle of Europe, frozen in, tight and fast, and with mountains of snow and rivers of ice where no animals could live. 
In this age, everything was white. Then there were no animals, men, women, children, or babies, no flowers, no birds, fish, or farms, and no vineyards, but only dreadful cold, all the year round, and for millions of years. Then the frost giants ruled a land forever white with snow that never melted, and their kings sat on top of a solid mountain of ice. These frost giants would not allow anything alive to come near them. They made it the law that whatever had eyes or nose, feet or hands, paws or wings, would not be allowed. The queen of the fairies that lived down in the warm meadows felt sorry that no so fine a place should have nothing in it that was alive or had any color, reds, pinks, blues, yellows, violets, or greens. She believed that the land could be conquered from the frost giants and made a country in which boys and girls could play and pick flowers. It might indeed take several millions of years to melt the ice and cover the ground with flowery meadows. But what was that? Because fairies never care anything about days or months or years. They never grow old and do not use almanacs because not dwelling in bodies like ours and never having lived like us mortals, they do not get sick they are saved all expenses, for they do not die. There are no doctors or undertakers in fairyland, even though the immortal flowers bloom everywhere. It seems to be that because some are wiser than others, that they may be called old. To carry out her purpose, the fairy queen made a friend of the sun and asked his help. This old soul, as the fairies called him, was very glad to give, because he had rescued other parts of the world from the Ice Kings and made many lands bright and beautiful. He thought that the monarch of the Frost World and his giants had reigned long enough in Switzerland. Besides, old soul wanted to show that he had not yet done his best work. It is true that he had made other lands look lovely, changing them from barren rocks and sand to fruitful fields, groves and gardens rich in wheat and corn, fruit trees and berry bushes, besides peaches and apples and pears, were roses and lilies. Old Soul declared that with the aid of the fairies, he would make Switzerland the most beautiful of all countries, so that many people from foreign lands would come to see it. He would scoop out lakes, channel out rivers, smooth the face of the country, and make it lovely with pastures, rich in cows and goats, 
and spangled with flowers of many hues. Yes, if the fairies would promise to put enough clothes on their favorites and wrap them up in downy undergarments with lots of fur and wool for overcoats, he would help the prettiest flowers to climb up to the high mountains. Then he would promise to furnish heat enough so that they could keep warm and live there. He would make it so pleasant for them that they would never get homesick or want to go back to the valley below. In spite of the frost giants, the storms and winds, the tempests and the icy breath of the giants, these flowers would bloom and nod and laugh at and defy all enemies. What was even more wonderful, Old Soul promised, that every flower as it climbed higher should have a richer color on its cheeks so that all the world would wonder. Then the plants in the warmer regions lower down should envy the brilliant faces of their sisters so high up. In fact, it was to be a beauty contest. Nothing venture, nothing have should be the rule. They might not grow to be so tall. Their feet might be larger, for they would need strong toes to hold on tight to the ground. When old Boreas, the wind giant, tried his best to blow them away. But to win out, they were sure to do in the end and beat Jack Frost and all his army. When the fairies were called together and told by their queen that the sun would be their friend and help them every day and never tire of his good work, you ought to have seen how happy they were. They all clapped their hands and every one, big and little, wanted to be brave and go out to fight the frost giants. Each volunteer said, I am not afraid. The frost giants cannot freeze me. It was wonderful how the pretty fairies were perfectly willing to be changed into humble-looking plants that could never grow very tall, but lie quite flat on the ground and have deep roots in the crannies. They would have to live without much society or excitement and spend their lives in clefts and hollows. What was hardest to bear was that most of them would have to live silently, for in the case of many of them, their beauty would never be appreciated or even seen. Some were glad even to become plain meadow grasses, When one fairy was told she would become an alpine poa and must carry her babies on her back, she gladly consented, saying, I am willing. The enthusiasm for the war became an epidemic. Some of the bigger fairies asked to be changed into trees, oak, maple, spruce, pine, or birch. This was hard for those who had been regular chatterboxes, 
as they would now only be able to bend in the breeze or whisper in the winds, and they could roar only in a gale or tempest. Some even begged to be allowed to take on the form of the most ancient of all the Swiss trees. It was astonishing to note how ready these fairies were to put off their lovely gossamer-like robes, lay aside their wings, and wear such plain clothes as some of them must, those who volunteered to be meadow and rock plants. But then, the idea of fighting the frost giants and rescuing the land from ice and snow had filled them all with enthusiasm. It was like patriotism among mortals, but then they loved the children and wanted them to have a pretty playground made ready for them, so that when babies in cradles came into the land, the flowers would be in bloom, so they could pick the flowers and string them around their necks. So the queen of the fairies and her wise counselors enrolled and equipped an army of her fairies who had agreed to be turned into plants for the long war against the frost giants. Of all these, Old Soul was to be the general. Heaps of fur and flannel, wool and velvet, and hair and down were stored up to make thick underclothes and stout overcoats to keep them warm and all sorts of wiry stuff for toes to grip tight and keep hold of the rocks. Then with plenty of rich paints and dyes to color their cheeks, the fairy queen summoned the volunteers to come forth. As each name was called and a fairy stepped out, the queen waved her wand. First, she pointed it upwards to where the stars were playing hide-and-seek among the snowy peaks. Then, touching each kneeling fairy, she tapped with her star-tipped wand upon the neck of each. Eyes, nose, ears, lovely yellow or raven hair, or shining auburn, limbs, hands and feet and wings disappeared in a golden mist. When one looked again, there was where each fairy had kneeled down a flower. Never was the like seen before in all the wonderful floral world, either as to the kind or blossom or the shape of the stalk, leaves or petals of the plants. Some hardly looked like flowers at all, while others were recognized at once as cousins or sisters of old friends, but so dressed up, as if for an arctic journey, as scarcely to be recognized. Here was one creature, dazzling, splendid in colors, while alongside of her, was a little lady robed entirely in white, as if she were to be the bride of Jack Frost and to marry him in a country where the tint of ermine 
was the only one in fashion. The lowliness of some of these newborn flowers was perhaps the most astonishing thing about them. Even when in bloom, they were not over an inch in height, while their neighbors down in the valley were all nearly as tall as yardsticks. One group became only plain meadow grass, while their relatives seemed dressed for Fifth Avenue or the main street of Zurich. Although, when the fairies were turned into trees and were at first hardly higher than a needle and not one of them had a body as thick as a thimble, they at once began whispering, for it was hard to give up the habit of talking every minute. Of one pretty creature shaped like a bluebell with scalloped edges, it was noticed that she shut up her mouth and did not say a word. At this, one wise old fairy looked up at the sky and said, It is certainly going to rain. Thereupon, since flowers were so cheap, this one they called the poor man's weather glass. Another that had a curiously shaped blossom they named Lady's Slipper. To still another, very reddish, tufty and strong, they gave the title of Prince's Feather, while an unusually pert and active one that had a very expressive face, they christened Johnny Jump Up. This fairy had whimpered a little at the idea of being named after a boy, but when told she would have clothes of many colors, she was instantly happy and welcomed her change into a flower with a face that would never need rouge or lily-white powder. While these, thus far mentioned, were mostly valley or pasture flowers and not expected to live very far up the mountain slopes, several others volunteered to lead what some called the forlorn hope. But they too were full of pep for that and took the name of the advance guard. These were specially equipped for fighting the cold. These were the Edelweiss, the Alpine Rose. They were made so frost-proof by fur and thick clothes that they could laugh in the very faces of the frost giants and dare them to do their worst in trying their best to freeze them out. Of the one that seemed done up entirely in white flannel and that kept its blooms in a bunch like a rosette, everybody knows. For it was the Edelweiss, proud of her name. Millions of fairies gathered together on the hill slopes to see the procession start and did not mind waiting a thousand years or so. They hung on bushes, sat on top of rocks and boulders and on the tree branches or stood or hovered wherever they could get either a peep or a good view of the fairy flower army that was to march up to the heights and wrestle with the giants. Some wondered how the battle would go and if the war would ever end. Could they possibly march up the mountain sides and hold their own amid the blasts of winter? 
and amid the eternal snow and ice, and win the land now covered up? Not a sign of field or pasture or road or any space clear of snow was then visible. There was nothing but ice, many miles thick, and looming so far up in the air as to seem at night to touch the stars. The jagged rocks splintered by lightning and the mountain sides clothed with glaciers like armor and which were billions of tons in weight seemed very forbidding. Just give us a few millions of years and we'll surely win, cried the fairy queen who was proud of her beautiful army and who with them all knew or cared nothing for what we call time. Fairies never cry, but some felt as if they might weep to see so many pretty flowers killed as they feared they would be. Even the idea of the chills and shivers they would have to suffer made some of the timid ones feel sad. Even suppose they could survive ice and frost and the cold breath of the strong winds that might uproot them, how could they resist the avalanches that might overwhelm and crush them? If whole forests of giant trees were often leveled like eggshells and flattened like flounders by those rolling terrors or torn up by landslides or ground to gravel by falling rocks or carried away by landslides, how could tiny and tender flowers hope to escape? But the fairy queen knew the power of her friend, the sun, and the tenacity and perseverance of her flower children. So, laughing at such forebodings, she bade the lovely flowers and the little trees begin their march. Their orders to advance were steadily forward and upward. They were to hold the ground gained inch by inch. They must even try again and again to split the rocks and be willing to suffer cold, wet wind and not be out of sorts or show bad temper when it rained too much or the clouds hid the sun. They must take advantage of every nook, crevice, crack and cranny don't be alarmed said one wise fairy to her neighbor I'll warrant you that they will pretty soon complain that it is too hot and sometimes will even ask the sun to veil his face with clouds but the other fairy said that is only gossip and she did not believe they would ever be sorry and want to change back. When after their first victories, the cows and goats should come and the birds make their nests and men and women arrive and the boys and girls play, these fairies, thus changed into flowers, were not to object to have their stalks eaten up by cattle or their seeds to be swallowed by the birds, or their blossoms to be plucked by the children, even when they should come to their best bloom 
and seemed too pretty to be touched. They were to welcome the cows and goats. To all these directions, the new plants, trees, and flowers nodded their heads, and the war began. The older fairies went back to the vineyards, groves, forests, dales, and meadows in the lower lands of sunshine, of mild climate, and of fair weather, and the battle was on. Several millions of years slipped away, and some of the fairies in the warm countries had almost forgotten their cousins in the high Alps. Then it happened that some thousands of them made up a party to go and visit what they had once left long ago as a polar region of thick ice, where no land was visible. What a change, and how lovely. When they reached Switzerland and looked over the landscape, they could not at first believe their own eyes. True, it was midsummer when they arrived, but as far as the eye could reach, they beheld valleys and meadows spangled with flowers from which floated the sound or echoes of tinkling bells where contented cows and goats were browsing. On the sweet perfumed air were wafted the aromic odors of the delicious herbage freshly cropped by the cattle. Pretty houses on the flat spaces or perched on the hill slopes told of happy homes. Children were playing games or picking flowers. Church spires pointed toward heaven. In one village, a long great parade of sleek cows, their well-groomed coats shining in the sun. And one, with a milking stool between her horns, was moving up where the grass was most luscious. Donkeys and horses laden with cheese and garden produce were moving in lengthened lines to the markets. Here and there, castles, chalets, bridges, church spires, and thickly clustered houses told of villages, towns, and cities. For humans were now in possession, and all the world rejoiced. It was like an heiress receiving her fortune for human beings thus to enter into the enjoyment of the lovely landscape and beautiful country which the fairies had helped so grandly to create. The End I hope you enjoyed the story of the Frost Giants and the Sunbeam Fairies. And like myself, look forward to spring flowers blooming. And if fall and winter are forthcoming, just know, in the spring, the flowers will bloom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all the downloads, the comments, the likes, the shares. You are all amazing. And I appreciate you, my listeners. If this is your first time, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you'll join us again.
I'm Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy. Until next time, good night.